Team makes the fewest mistakes will win. Focus. Focus and alert. You heard me all day yesterday defensively. Focus, awareness, and be alert. Number two, play forward and make the breaks. The one comes our way score. Got to take advantage. Nothing's going to be easy. Got to make it happen. Nothing will be easy with this team. Welcome to this off-season episode of the Duke Football Talks Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, alongside Josh Cox, Jamie Holt, and Scott Medlin. It's been a while since our last episode, and, well, we figured what better way to come out of hiatus than to discuss the NFL draft and what Blue Devils landed where once the dust settled. Now, fellas, before we get into all things Duke Blue Devils and who went where and who got drafted, I got to ask, how did your NFL team do in the draft, in your opinion? I mean, I was very happy with our draft, with the Broncos draft. Uh, you know, needed a cornerback. Patrick Sertain was the first pick they took off the board. Um, so I was very excited about that. You know, the, the one downside, if you want to use those words, being a Duke fan, it was really hard for them to draft the Carolina running back, Javante Williams. But – as soon as he puts on a Broncos uniform, I forget where he went to college. So I'm so excited about that. Um, you know, looking forward to these young guys they got. Really and truly still have my fingers crossed. I know they traded with the Panthers to get Teddy a lot of bridge under the water. But I'm praying that the Jeopardy guest host gets traded, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, to the Broncos. So we at least have one legitimate quarterback on the team. But other than that, you know, for a team that was – god-awful in the AFC West. They did good. They drafted well with under the new GM. So we'll see. Now, now Jamie, before you go, I'm going to preface by saying you have – you don't have 30 minutes to go through all things Panthers. And if you go longer than three to four minutes, you're going to be muted. But with that being said, how did your Panthers do this year in the draft? You know what? I would I would give them an A in the draft. I think – I think they did really well. I mean, a lot of a lot of people, including myself, we were perplexed when they passed on Justin Fields. Uh, but J.C. Horn from South Carolina, he's a beast. He's going to be a day one starter, and that was a position of need at cornerback for the Panthers. Uh, they got Dante Jackson, um, but he's a, he's really fast. But he's not a number one corner. And J.C. Horn is he's he's going to be a number one corner, and. You look on through the through the rounds. I mean, one of the things that was funniest to me is because you kind of like to see uh, division rivals kind of being a little petty. And I think the Panthers. The rumor was the Panthers had heard that uh, the Saints wanted to draft Marshall, the wide receiver from LSU, and uh, the Panthers jumped him and <laughs> and drafted him. So that's a little bit of division rival pettiness there. They got a couple of big, you know, offensive linemen. I don't know if you guys have seen him. This is the last guy I'm going to point out, but Deontay Brown from Alabama. Oh my gosh. He's a, he's as big of a, as a side of a house. Like he's just ginormous and they got him in round six and he looks to be a guy that will come in and help right away and protect Sam Darnold, who is going to be the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Speaking of the division rival pettiness in the draft, at the fourth, uh, with the fourth pick, the Falcons did take the guy who I think is going to be the best player in this draft historically, and Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. 
who absolutely is ridiculous. Like the guy's crazy, but I, I heard people say, like, I thought it was interesting that the Panthers, you know, four spots later pick maybe the one guy in the draft who could historically possibly cover a guy like Kyle Pitts and help cover. So like, once again, just kind of in, inside the division, a little bit of, of back and forth there. Um, but man, I, I don't have a team um, guys. Like I'm, I'm more of a fantasy football player. I, I like, I want to like the Panthers. I, I actually think the Sam Darnold thing can work. So maybe next year I'll be talking about my team as the Panthers, but for this year, um, I don't. So I just think it's interesting. First couple of picks, obviously, uh, Sunshine, Trevor Lawrence, uh, taking his talents to Jacksonville. <clears throat> Happy for them uh, to, to work alongside uh, Pastor Tim Tebow. And then, uh, you know, Zach Wilson. Zach, was, Zach Wilson's mom made an appearance at the uh, NFL draft. Um, Trey Lance, um, still to this day, if I'm Jimmy G out in San Francisco, I don't understand it. I'm done. Uh, and then we got to my guy, Kyle Pitts, um, at number four uh, with Atlanta. And then the round of the top five, you do have the remarriage of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase from OLSU days. Just I thought there were some intriguing storylines in the draft. Um, but we saved um, Brian for last because – we, we wanted to go the team that has been the longest outside of the playoffs. And so, Brian, take it away. It's just jealousy. When you have five team Super Bowl rings, you know, everyone just wants to mock America's team. As Scott's giving me the DX chop, I know you, you're, you can only listen and not see it. But, fellas, I got to tell you, I was very excited with the way the Cowboys drafted. Usually Jerry Jones sabotages the draft every year. And I think his son has finally made him realize that, you need to pick what the team needs and not what you want. Uh, now, with that being said, the Broncos and Panthers took the two best cornerbacks off the board right before the Cowboys, and they did the smart thing. They traded back. They got some more draft picks, and they picked up Micah Parsons. A lot of people were, were scratching their heads, but I love it. Sean Lee retired. Uh, Leighton uh, Vandebosch, I think. I, I'm, I, You know me. I'm, I'm butchering names left and right. But um, – they're Vander saying Ish. he might say that again, Scott. Van Vander Esch. Vander Esch, yes. Thank you. So I was close. Um, they're saying he's probably not going to come back after the next year. So Micah Parsons, he looked good at Penn State. I love the pick. We also picked up Jabril Cox. A lot of people are saying that could be a steal for the draft from LSU. But not only that, we worked on drafting players for our defense. Our defense was horrid last year. Uh, we got scored on left and right in the air. And we also got some offensive linemen as well. Our offensive line has been pretty much our, our strongest point the last few years protecting Dak. And they're starting to show some cracks the last couple of seasons. So I'm very optimistic. And again, it's my one of my teams, and I say this every year, I think Dallas could finally get back into the playoffs, make a run. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl by any means, but if we stay you know, healthy, we might have a shot. Again, love the way the draft went for the Cowboys. And thankfully, uh, again, Jerry didn't, uh, you know, pick who he wanted. He picked who the team needed the most as far as team needs. But, again, that's just our, our little uh, input as far as our, our teams and what we thought, just something we wanted to do since we were talking the NFL draft. But we'll now move to the heart of this podcast. 
And that's the Blue Devils that were actually drafted in this year's draft. And for those of you who do not know, we had four Blue Devils drafted overall through seven rounds. That is the most amount of Blue Devils drafted in one draft since 1973. And the, it's really eerie, the, the similarities that we, we found when we were doing our research, guys. Uh, the 1973 Duke team went 2-8-1. Last year's team went two and nine. That's that's kind of odd, but again, it's crazy. And then I believe it was two of the four teams uh, from each draft drafted a Duke player. But in 1973, you had Steve Jones running back drafted, Ed Newman guard drafted to the Dolphins, Robert Parrish, no, not the Boston Celtics center, the defensive tackle for Duke back in 73. He got drafted to the Jets. And then Melvin Parker, all the way in the 15th round of the 73 draft, linebacker was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals, who are now the Arizona Cardinals. But we're going to each um, go into who we think got the best landing role, I guess you could say, out of the four players and, and why. I mean, we, you know, Josh, I'll actually throw it to you. Why don't you go through and tell everyone who got drafted where and who you think had the best landing spot of the four. Yeah, well, I tell you what, um, the easiest thing for me, I, I'm just going to take Chris Rump and talk about Chris. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think he got – anyway, it's up for debate. But let, let's let's just start with Chris Rump. How about that? Um, he was taken in the fourth round, um, the 118th overall pick, Um which you know maybe was a little bit later than what some probably some Duke Homer fans thought, but in a lot of projections it was about where he where they thought he was going to go. Um, but here's what I do like: he was drafted by the Chargers, um, and I think Duke fans would recognize um, Chris Rump's uh, abilities and his strong points, being that edge rusher. Uh, being kind of the hybrid of maybe an, an outside linebacker and a defensive end. Um, and he'll go to a Chargers uh, team that's anchored by Joey Bosa. And, man, if you want to go somewhere and learn from the best, um, Chris is going to be able to go and, and you know, be in, in, in practice every day uh, watching a guy like Joey Bosa. And so I actually really like that for him. I do think uh, that we'll see him play in some of that linebacker position. Um, and I think his, his speed will, will help him a little bit there. Um, but I will say this, <clears throat> just from watching him play, um, his instincts are going to have to improve. Um, he's not going to be able to sell out on the quarterback unless he's just brought in on, on third downs uh, to rush the passer. Um, he's going to have to be more disciplined. But once again, um, he didn't start playing football until his sophomore, junior high school. Uh, even though his dad's a big, you know, coach and all that kind of stuff, uh, he's still a work in progress. And so, I mean, he's six foot two, six foot three. Uh, he's going to put some weight on. Um, like I said, going to the Chargers, I think it's a it's an ideal circumstance uh, for a guy who, let's let's face it, he came to Duke his freshman year. He did he didn't turn any heads. His second year, he turned a bunch of heads towards the end of the year. And then last year, his numbers, they stacked up. Um, he, he, he was hyped going into last season, and he lived up to the hype. And so I've got to give him credit for that. I was a little bit uh, critical of him and his, 
offsides um, uh, seemingly all, all season long. But other than that, I've got nothing but great things to say about Chris Rupp, and I'm super happy for him being drafted to the Chargers. Well, I'm, I'm going to go next here. Uh, I have Michael Carter from the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 the fifth-round pick, number 154 uh, overall selection. And uh, not to be confused, ESPN, it's not the other Michael Carter they drafted and the picture you showed when they drafted him, but the Duke's Michael Carter. Um, going to a, I mean, the, the Jets stink. Let's just be honest. They're bad. And a good opportunity for a young corner who has played well in his four years at Duke. I mean, I was looking at some of their stats. Uh, their leading player with interceptions last year had two. I mean, that, you know, in the NFL, you seem like there would be more than that on the, on the team, but they only had they had three guys with two interceptions. So it seems like a perfect opportunity for a young guy to come in there and make, and, you know, maybe not make the team the first year as a starter, but uh, he's a very good special teams player. And, you know, again, he, he did an excellent job at Duke and made a name for himself. So I'm really excited about it, the opportunity for him to go to the Jets. And, I mean, they're, they're trying to go through another resurgence, and it's kind of their every-year thing. But I do think that they're going to have some juice this year with Zach Wilson there. And, I mean, the, the kick and ball. So, you know, maybe they'll go in the right direction here. They, they obviously traded Darno to get Wilson to have him as their number one. So I really like Michael Carter's opportunity. And who knows? He may end up uh, – could be the best one we had go. There's there's no way of telling right now, obviously. But I do like the chances. I do – I think he's going to have a – I think he'll have a good year. Yeah, and I'm going to go next. And uh, I, I took Noah Gray. I mean, I've been – I've been a huge Noah Gray fan for his years at Duke. I, I've said this for a couple of years now that this, I said, this guy's going to, he's going to play on Sundays. And I thought, unfortunately, he was underutilized at Duke. Uh, a weapon like that, we should have utilized him a lot more. And he probably could have got drafted higher with his skill set. But he ended up going in the fifth round at number 162 overall to the Kansas City Chiefs, which, if you're Noah Gray, once again, just like Josh said about Rumpf, I mean, how good of a situation could you be going into as uh, going in and playing behind Travis Kelsey? Uh, Andy Reid is one of the greatest offensive minds in the NFL, probably the greatest offensive mind in, in the NFL. And um, they got a pretty good quarterback, too. I think his name is uh, Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's, he's, he's solid, I think. So I think Noah has a good chance at getting learning. I'm not sure how many reps he's actually going to get. I mean, Kelsey is getting a little older, but uh, he's still he's still going strong and he's the best in the game. But this is an opportunity for him. I mean, honestly, you're you're going into camp as a as a later pick in the fifth round. You're going in. You're you're showing out for other teams too, just in case. I mean, if something happens, you get cut or whatever you're showing out for other teams as well that might need need you. But I think he landed in a perfect situation. I'm happy for him and hope he thrives in Kansas City. Well, my guy was the actually the last of the Blue Devils to be drafted in the sixth round. 
with the 210th pick. And I've been on this guy's bandwagon for a while now. And that's big Vic, Victor Mukeji. And I think he landed in the perfect spot to help with his progression as a defensive end and actually an outside linebacker. And that's the Arizona Cardinals. Um, they actually have him listed as an outside linebacker on the roster because they already have five defensive ends, uh, including J.J. Watt. But consider this. The Cardinals had the 13th best defense last season. They're great in the passing side. They had the 10th best passing defense. They had only the 22nd best rushing defense. They surrendered over 2,000 yards. So they know what they're getting with Big Vic. He's got great hands. He knows how to get through the line. If he plays defensive end, and even if they use him to blitz, I think he can get to the quarterback or even the running back when the handoff occurs. But the Cardinals GM um, has already compared Victor to seven-year vet Marcus Golden, who's on the Arizona Cardinals. And last year, Golden had 17 tackles and four and a half sacks. Pretty good stats in the NFL. But when you're the six-round pick coming in and your GM's already giving you praise, pretty impressive in my opinion. Uh, and, and one other thing to consider, we all know J.J. Watt has had injury history. Like, he, he just cannot seem to get through a full season without getting hurt. Who's to say that Big Vic couldn't fill his shoes if he were to go down? I'm not wishing that he does, but that I think they're thinking, like Josh was saying with Rumpf, maybe he has a hybrid-type personality when it comes to playing on the team. I think this is a great pickup for the Cardinals. Um, and I'm trying to find the, the draft analysis because the gentleman for the NFL Network I think he worded it perfectly. This is what he said about Big Vic. A proven technician, Demukeji has the production and flash and flashes intrigue teams like on day three. His ability to defeat blocks with his hands and angles should elevate him above other rotational contenders in camp. So it seems like Big Vic's not going anywhere anytime soon with the Cardinals. And I see him having a very, very long NFL career barring any injury or anything like that. But, you know... I butchered his name in one of our first episodes, guys, and it would just, you know, it would be beneath me not to say this, but I actually found the clip of the Cardinals fan that announced his draft pick. Y'all thought I butchered his name? Hang on one second. Let me let me see if I can get this going. Might have to edit it out if it doesn't if it doesn't work. The Arizona Cardinals with a 210th pick in the NFL draft select Victor Dumokechi. Linebacker Duke. So I think my pronunciation was a little bit better than the Arizona Cardinals fans, wouldn't y'all say, fellas? Yeah, man. Uh, I would. I'll give you credit, Brian. I give you credit on that. And in all seriousness about about Victor Dimakaji, I, I think we would all agree there's not a harder worker. And I tell you what, I think he goes to Arizona and he works his butt off, and he doesn't take anything for granted. And who knows, in, in five years from now, we might be saying, man, Big Vic has had the most successful pro career out of any of those guys, um, for sure. But, you know, there, as, as with every year, um, as with every year, we always kind of look at Duke football has to kind of look beyond the draft a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, and so we did have some guys uh, that went undrafted, but that have been picked up fairly quickly um, in free agency. And so we're going to talk through them a little bit because, hey, look, we've, 
we've seen those guys. I mean, Breon Borders, and we, we, I don't even want to start the list, but we've seen those guys uh, make rosters. We've seen those guys be productive um, NFL players uh, for, for several years. And so uh, who do we have this year um, that was picked up after the fact, after the draft was over as free agents, and where did they land? All right, we have uh, Deion Jackson. He signed with the Indianapolis Colts. That's going to be a crowded backfield. We have Mark Gilbert signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that was a great signing there. And then Devery Hamilton, our transfer from Stanford last year. He signed with the Las Vegas Raiders. Those were our three unsigned uh, draft pick or unsigned players to go to NFL teams. So, fellas, I got to ask, of the three that signed with teams and didn't get drafted, who do you think was the best signee for the team? Yeah, immediately Gilbert jumps out off the page for me. I mean, as long as he – if he can go to Pittsburgh and show that he can stay injury-free, I mean, that's the key. Obviously, he had a brutal injury, and we saw him come back for, well, just a couple of games before he before he opted out, which I, I don't blame him for opting out. He, at that point, you know, you got to do what's best for you, opt out, get ready for the draft. And I was hoping he would get drafted – but he didn't. But I think he's gone into a perfect situation at Pittsburgh. I mean, he's going to show show his skill. He's one of, in my opinion, he was one of the top corner. He would have been drafted probably day one had it not been for had it not been for the injury. So I think he has a chance to stick on. He he's the one that has the best chance to stick on in my eyes. Yeah, Jamie, I would I would agree hundred percent with you and. Uh, it's all about, is he back? Is that hip fully healed? Um, and is he, can he get into 100% tip top shape? And I think if Mark Gilbert can get in shape and the hip injury is completely behind him, then he is a, he's probably a starter um, as a cornerback. And so I, I would agree 100% with you, man. I, I think you're spot on with that. And, you know, being drafted there by Pittsburgh – or not drafted, but picked up by Pittsburgh, he joins his cousin there on Revis Island. So, his cousin's with Darrell Revis. So, you know, that's exciting to see him have an opportunity to go do that. Yeah, I, I think Gilbert – I'm just going to agree with you guys. I think Gilbert has the, the best outlook for as far as these three go. Uh, the reason being, I mean, I, I'm looking right now on the Colts website with Deion Jackson. I, I wish him nothing but luck, but there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven running backs currently on the Colts roster. And that includes uh, Jordan Wilkins, Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, as we like to call him, Marlon Mack, Naheem Himes. All those guys have had playing time. All those guys have been productive in the NFL. Now, could they find another role for Deion Jackson? Maybe special teams? Absolutely. But I, I think Dion's got the, the biggest uphill battle amongst the three for sure. Yeah, I, w- I was going to just say that Dion is probably going to have to make his way on special teams. I mean, and you mentioned it there at the end. There's, I don't see him getting into their rotation at all. So if he's going to make the team, which he can. I mean, obviously we've seen Dion make big plays in special teams. So uh, – I think that that's going to be his main main focus in when uh, training camp starts is just just impress the coaches and special teams, and that's how that's his way of making the team. He also may be, um, you know, 
the running back position is is so uh, is not valued anymore, um, unless it's like a really really high level guy like Saquon or or McCaffrey or some or Zeke or somebody like that. But it's really not valued, and so actually I think Dion could benefit from that. Um, there are definitely um, there are definitely teams that would love to have another young. 21, 22-year-old, fresh set of legs on their roster. So I do think even if it doesn't work out for him in Indy, I think it could work out somewhere else because, look, the first ACL gets torn in, you know, in, in, in preseason, all these types of things, you know teams are always looking for running backs. And and like like you guys said, Dion has the physical skills. He's fast. He's good on special teams. There's a lot to like about Dion, And so I, I think he's good. But once again, I think we were spot on about Gilbert being the best in the best case scenario. What do you guys think about Devery Hamilton? Las Vegas Raiders, tackle. Uh, looking on their website right now, there's four other tackles, or three other tackles, I should say. Uh, all 6'6 six, six are, are taller and all 300 are, are bigger. I mean, I, I think that could be a toss-up for Devery. I mean, he was definitely productive in the games that we, we saw for him. Um, and the in the most tenured tackles on the Vegas on uh, the Raiders team, only four years. Um, so, what are your guys' thoughts with Devery? Do you think he's he's got a shot to to start maybe for the Raiders? He's he's definitely got a shot because um, once again in the NFL, that's that's the position that people are looking for all the time is that that tackle position. You got to protect that quarterback. I mean, for goodness sakes, going back to my Carolina Panthers, we haven't had a left tackle since Jordan Gross retired. Like, <laughs> I mean, we had Cam Newton running around, running for his life for years, which, of course, he was good at that. But in Devery's case, he can definitely catch on. If it's not – and if it's not with Las Vegas, it could be with somebody else. Uh, but I could see him making an immediate impact there and actually, actually playing significant time with Las Vegas. Yeah, I think just with what you said, Brian, with the numbers there, I think the most realistic thing would be can Devery make the two deep? Um, and I, I think that that's the first step, and I think he can do that. Um, just the, the cynical and honest Duke fan in me, if, if Duke's offensive line from last year puts an NFL starter in the league, then I, I might just resign uh, this podcast. Well, I got, I got to ask this, and again, we mentioned this earlier in the podcast. This is the first time since 1973 we've had four or more draftees in the same draft. And I got to ask the question, and, it, you know, a lot of Duke fans are probably asking this, but we had four NFL-caliber players get drafted and three more signed with NFL teams the day after. Why did we go two and nine last year? Why? And don't, don't, please don't say COVID because every other NCAA football team played for the most part. There were some schools that canceled. Just, I got to throw it out there. I mean, I think the, the biggest issue was, was quarterback. Uh, you know, it just turnovers, just crazy stuff. Coaching, I mean, coaching was an issue. <laughs> oh, boy. Jamie got another giggle bug starting. <laughs> <We're> all... <laughs> See, 
Folks, this is what happens when we're also texting during the podcast. One funny thing that's said, and then we all lose it, especially Jamie. He's going to have to take probably the next 10 minutes to conduct himself. (laughs) And just so you know, behind the scenes, Scott's been having problems. He's been on his wife's computer trying to be a part of this this podcast, and then he tried to switch to his phone. So there's some uh, laughing going on behind the scenes, but... Going back, all right, let's refocus, guys. Going back, again, how is it we have seven NFL-caliber players come off of this team that went two and nine? Like, it just doesn't make sense. So, Adam Rowe, Adam Rowe tweeted, you know, the these stats that you just gave, Brian, about the, these, all these guys drafted, all these other guys picked up as free agents, and that was my initial response. And we somehow could not figure out a way to win a football game. Like, it blows my mind, and it goes back to – and I know this is not the point of this podcast, but daggone it, we got like one year, maybe two years, and we better turn this ship around because we can't have talent like that on our roster and not turn it into wins, period. There's just zero excuse for it. What this this draft, this NFL draft showed us is that we were right – we know that we had good players. We know that we had the pieces that could have been put together, and they just were not put together. So that's, this just proved, I believe, the logical Duke fan, it just proved us to be correct. I don't know. With the team the way it is, I, I just don't know. And who knows? If we're going to put this kind of talent in the NFL, we've got to be better than two wins. That's just all there is to it. And, I mean, obviously – we blame the quarterback for most of the issues or that system, whatever got us to that point. So hopefully we'll be able to get better this season and be able to put more talent in there and have more wins to show for this, these guys. Cause these guys are working their butts off. They're giving it their all. I mean, and they're, it's not like they're giving up. They've played every minute. They've played as hard as they could. They've done what they've been asked to do. It's just that I don't know. After about three games, the team just goes down the toilet in a heartbeat, and we just play like crap. Yeah, and I I said originally, you know, quarterback play, but I don't even want to blame Chase here. I mean, sure, he didn't play well, but this was on this whole year was on coaching, period. It's on Cutcliffe. Um, you know, when Chase isn't playing well, he's obvious he's not playing well. Pull him. Play Gunner, you know. What? <laughs> We didn't see Gunner hardly at all this year. Like, at least give him a shot and see. And that might have even lifted the team's spirits at that point, too. I mean, I don't I don't know what was going on in the locker room. You just don't know uh, when they're seeing Chase playing so poorly. And, you know, people are like, man, look at this guy. He's, he, you know, he must be a favorite of, of coach. Uh, he keeps on getting put out there. Uh, we were worried that Gunner was going to transfer. But first, fortunately, he – he did not, and he's going to be our starting quarterback this year. But uh, I just, I just have to blame pretty much everything on the on cut. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair, um, and that's a, I think it's a hundred percent valid point. Um, I do think it's cool or interesting, at least, that it's pretty much a, I guess it's a done deal that Gunner is getting that starting nod. I mean, from everything we could see from spring ball. Um, and, you know, we interviewed – we were able to interview Luca uh, Diamant over the offseason, 
And um, I will say I do feel like we have two capable quarterbacks because uh, from that watching that Florida State game, uh, Luca got thrown in the fire there, and he really did play well. And uh, and I think he's got potential. Um, and so you know maybe we can maybe cut goes back to that a um, little bit of a hybrid model, um, and we see both of those guys some as we've as we've historically seen with guys like Thomas Sirk and guys like Brandon Kinnett and even Quentin Harris to a certain degree uh, on da- in Daniel Jones's last season. Um, maybe maybe he goes back to that. I mean, if you think about it, really the best Duke teams that we've had have kind of run that two-quarterback system. Um, and I know that's not necessarily what we – you know, we're not talking specifically about that tonight, but um, I, I would like to see that. I'm looking forward to Gunner. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got. I'm looking forward – to Gunner having a long leash because I feel like last year we saw glimpses of what he could do. And then every mistake that he made was an immediate pull. And I'm looking forward to seeing Gunner Holmberg able to work through his mistakes. Cut's got no other, other choice, but to believe in him and let's believe in the guy. Let's get behind the guy. Let's ride it out. And then honestly, if it doesn't work, Let's be as coach as a coaching staff, be man enough to say, okay, it's not working and we're going to somebody else. Let's not be stubborn. Um, but let's give Gunner every chance in the world we can give him. And so, you know, as we kind of think forward uh to the beginning of the season, you know, we're gonna we'll be talking and we'll do some preseason podcasts about this. But Duke has been very active in the uh transfer portal. Um, getting another uh, piece in the secondary from Michigan State and adding another offensive lineman, which, listen, bring send all the offensive linemen you can um, our way. Uh, by the way, side note, we're still waiting on our man, Cade Parmalee. We got we to gotta get old Parm, old chicken Parm on the, uh, on the podcast, but uh, we're working on that. Um, but anyway, Duke has been very active in the, in the um, transfer portal, and hopefully that's going to turn in results – you know, turn into results on the field on Saturdays. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. And I will uh, make in, in the topic of the current Duke team with this, we're, we're going to be happy to see these guys in person come August, September. Just want to just want to throw that out there, Duke Athletics. But let, let's go back really quick before we end the episode. This is one thing I forgot to ask you guys, and I want everyone's opinion on this. With the seven players that are in the NFL from this year's team, I want to know from you guys who you think is going to be the most productive of all seven and who is going to have the longest NFL career of all seven. Most productive that, that, that can mean they have a, you know, a standout year and then they don't do anything the rest of their 10 seasons. And then the longest who is going to be the iron man amongst these seven, whoever wants to go first. Just historically looking at the work work ethic and the habits and all that all that, honestly, I think Big Vic. Um, I think a close second in my opinion would be Noah Gray, because I don't know if he'll make it with Kansas City, but he will be an NFL player this season. But I think Big Vic has an opportunity, and Arizona can definitely use what he has. And you know these corners are going to do great, I think too. But I really think Big Vic has the biggest upside of everybody that's going to be out out of the seven, in my opinion. So, so he, you're saying he's going to last the longest and have the most production, Scott. Okay. Big Vic for both for Scott. 
Josh, Jamie? I'll, I'll give something different. Um, I think the most productive is going to be Mark Gilbert. I think he's going to – I think that the injury is behind him. And um, I'm going to say he's going to be – I think we'll see him five years from now starting. Um, you know what I mean? I think he'll be that kind of guy. I think longevity, I'm going to go with my gut here because I think um, I think this position lends itself to longevity, and I'm going to say Noah Gray. I think Noah Gray, um, he may not ever be that starter at tight end, but I think Noah Gray can be that, that backup, a uh, solid backup, great teammate, a guy that people want in their locker room, uh, a guy who steps in maybe when, when the starter is, is injured. Um, and it's just going to be, I think he's just going to have a long career in the NFL. Yeah. I'm going to agree with uh, Josh on the longevity. I think Noah Gray, just because like you said, the position, a lot of times you see those guys play many, many years. Um, like Scott said too, I don't know if he'll, end up with Kansas City or if he ends up with somebody else. Uh we will see. But uh Chris Rumpf, I think, is the guy that is going to have the biggest impact from this draft class. I think that he's gonna be a sack machine. Like he and he's just gonna they're gonna let him pin his ears back and just rush the QB. And he's gonna have to develop, you know, obviously some over over the years, but we'll see how he, you know, adjusts to the NFL game and the speed and the strength of those offensive linemen and everything else. I, I Going back to the whole injury talk, I think it only takes one injury to have Noah Gray on the field. And I believe he's going to be the most productive and last the longest as well amongst all the Duke draftees and signees from this year. He's got – a huge opportunity. Andy Reid knows how to use tight ends. Now, I don't know how long Andy Reid's going to be with Kansas City, but to Jamie and Josh's point, he might not stay in Kansas City. He might go somewhere else. Who knows? So it'll be very interesting to see how Noah Gray is used. You don't draft someone in the fifth round and not utilize them somehow. And and I'll be very interested to see how he is used by by Andy Reid. It's going to be exciting, too, to see how he, he plays with uh, Patrick Mahomes. So I, I got Noah Gray lasting the longest, being the most productive. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're a part of our, our Facebook group or Twitter, why don't you let us know who you think is going to last the longest to be the most productive? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to, for you to interact with us. And also let us know that you, you listen to this, uh, this episode because um, it, it's curious to see what everyone's thought process is. But Fellas, I think that's going to do it for us. I mean, we, we've talked a lot of football, a lot of NFL. We don't typically talk NFL, but obviously with Blue Devils being drafted, we had to throw this episode in before we get to the, the heart of the season, the meat and the potatoes of the team, the schedule and everything like that. Anything you fellas have before we uh, sign off here? I um, just wanted to point out one thing before we get out of here tonight. 113 days and counting until kickoff in Charlotte, North Carolina, against the Charlotte 49ers, September the 4th. And I can almost guarantee you that the Section 17 uh, crew will be down there some way, somehow. Might not be all four of us. Could be two of us. Could be three of us. But you will see us. And hopefully the Charlotte Stadium has a Section 17 because we're going to try to find tickets to sit in there for sure.
Yeah, for sure, guys. I can't wait to get back in person. And if you listen to the podcast um, and you're involved in our social channels, uh, come say hello, hang out, man. We'd love to have you uh, swing in and, and um, you know, meet, meet someone, put a face to uh, to some of the Twitter handles and some of the Facebook profiles. But um, we were definitely looking forward to getting back in person, um, cheering on, on the Blue Devils and just an awkward year last year with no fans and staying home, watching every game. And so uh, we're, we're definitely looking forward to that. And we're definitely looking forward to, Hey, this is the year of Gunnar Holmberg and bring it on. Let's see what he's got. I will echo those sentiments, Josh. And you know, that'll do it for this episode of the Duke football talk section 17 podcast. Again, if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching Duke football talk and on Twitter by searching at Duke FB talk. For Josh Cox, Scott Medlin, Jamie Holt, and producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been the Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast.